0: Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome, friends, to episode thirty-three of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch Podcast. This is of course an Overwatch Podcast where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. Now, if this is your first episode, I'll introduce myself. I'm your host, Sir Dr. J M, that's at S-I-R-D-R-J-M. You can call me Jordan if you like. Uh, you can find me at Sir D R J M on all social media. So why not give me a follow there? Reach out to me if you're interested in the podcast. If you have any suggestions, questions, anything you'd like me to talk about on the show, I'd love to interact with you over there. So hit me up. Now you can, of course, find this podcast on all your favorite podcast services out there. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc, etc. So go give us a follow, leave a review, tell your friends, all that fun stuff. Now... For today's show, um, we will, of course, be covering two weeks worth of news as we record this ep- uh, this show bi-weekly. Um, and that does mean that uh, we're actually going to be starting a little ways back before we have all of our BlizzCon news that uh, we will cover in the second half of the show. So, yes, we will talk a little bit about the Lunar New Year event. We'll talk about a few signings and a few moves in the Overwatch League before we get to all of the exciting Overwatch 2 news that came out of BlizzCon. So, without further ado, let's dive on in there. Playtime's over. Alright, our first story of the week. I'm actually going to uh, give us all a required viewing, and this is, of course, uh, should be a pretty obvious one, because I think if you haven't watched this, then you are seriously missing out, although there are obviously some pretty... Pretty great recaps you can look at and one which I'll actually bring up at the end of the show um, just to give it a little bit of a shout out. However, the video of course I'm talking about is Blizzard's Blizzcon line 2021 behind the scenes of Overwatch 2 video which you can find on their YouTube channel. Um, go give it a watch. I'm going to pull it up right here. It is 38 minutes and 50 seconds long on YouTube. Um, throw that bad boy on 1.25 speed and you'll be done in half an hour. Uh, it's a really good watch though and it really did turn out to be, I think, uh, a look into Overwatch 2 that I think a lot of people thought we weren't getting. Um, one thing I will say is the the chatter online is does seem to be one way or the other, either people really loved it, or they think we didn't really get anything, we didn't really get any news, and to those people, I say you are crazy. Um, you have to understand a little bit about game dev and game development cycles, but uh, I think what they gave us was was way more than I honestly even thought we would see, um, and definitely some great information in there. So anyways, go give that video a watch, um, or seek out a recap of it, and of course... Uh, In the second half of the show, we will be doing basically just that, recapping a lot of the uh, announcements and a lot of the news that came out of that panel, specifically at BlizzConline 2021. So that's your required viewing. Um, Go check it out. Now, let's move on to the actual news. And our first story that I'm going to talk about is a little bit of an addendum for me. I had actually forgot to mention this in my last episode. So my last episode aired on February 10th which was six days after February 4th when the Lunar New Year event started. Um, I completely forgot to include that story in my uh, episode, so I didn't mention a thing about it. And now here we are, and the Lunar New Year event ends on February 25th. So I apologize to that. When this episode goes up on the 24th, you will have, uh, there's a good chance, less than 24 hours, to get all your gaming in there and hopefully earn the final skin if you hadn't already earned, uh, been participating, I should say. So the final skin is the Imperial Guard Reaper skin. Uh, You need nine wins to to snag that bad boy. Um, In my professional opinion, it's actually the least interesting of the three skins that you could earn throughout the event. So again, if you're relying on me for your news, and you probably aren't, then I apologize. But if you were, yeah, uh, sorry about that. Anyways, let's not dwell too long on that story. Moving on from there. We're going to jump over to Dottysports.com. We're going to open the show with Liz Richardson on February 10th when she posted this article that reads, Atlanta Rain releases DPS Sharp. Even though the next season of the Overwatch League is set to start in April, some teams are still making roster changes. The Atlanta Rain released DPS Sharp from its 2021 roster today. This move temporarily puts the Rain under the mandated seven signed players required by the Overwatch League. Sharp joined the Atlanta Reign during the 2019 offseason and played many games during the 2020 season for the team. He was formerly on Team Envy and GG Esports Academy in North American Overwatch contenders and also played for Team Sweden in the 2018 Overwatch World Cup. As part of the Reign, Sharp often provided support on Hitscan Heroes alongside Edison. The Atlanta Reign ended the 2020 season in 12th place after falling to the Florida Mayhem in the season playoff bracket. Atlanta has been surprisingly quiet during most of the 2020 offseason. In October, the team released six players downsizing a large roster that objectively underperformed during the season. The Reign's only player addition thus far has been DPS Pelican, who previously played for O2 Blast. Sharp's release brings validity to rumors that the Reign may be interested in picking up Kai Collins, formerly known as KSP, who was dropped by the Los Angeles Valiant last month. So um bit of an interesting one there obviously we now know that kai or ksp as he was known does in fact get picked up and i'll get to that story in a minute here um and obviously as well as uh, liz richardson links to her in her article there uh ksp was dropped by the los angeles valiant of course in the move to toronto uh, toronto wow sorry i was reading toronto on my uh run of show um Uh, the move to China. That's what I'm looking for. Um, As a part of the Los Angeles Valiant uh, relocating, if you will, uh, to the Chinese market, they, of course, dropped their entire roster, which, of course, included KSP, who is now known as Kai. So let's go on to our next story here. We're again going to be on dottysports.com with Liz Richardson, also on February 10th. And this one reads, Lastro joins Toronto Defiant. The Toronto Defiant is calling in extra support before the next season of the Overwatch League begins. The team announced the addition of flex support Lastro to its 2021 roster. Lastro was recently dropped when the Los Angeles Valiant gutted its roster and released staff before a move to China. As the Valiant's only flex support, Lastro was expected to excel on any hero necessary to support his team. Even though he was a rookie in the Overwatch League, Lastro impressed fans and analysts with his clutch plays on heroes like Ana and Zenyatta. The performance must have also caught the eye of the Toronto Defiant. Lastro joins former WGS Phoenix player Aztec in the flex support role on the Defiant. Both players will be working with main support and Jay, formerly of Element Mystic. As someone with experience in the league, Lastro may be able to provide leadership to rookies like Aztec and Ansunjay. After the 2020 Overwatch League season concluded, the Toronto Defiant underwent a complete roster overhaul, dropping 10 players in a single day. The team quickly signed former Philadelphia Fusion head coach KDG in the lead coaching role. Other Fusion stars like main tank Sato and DPS Hisu followed KDG to the newly rebuilt Defiant roster. The Overwatch League's fourth season kicks off in April. So, um, good signing for Toronto, I think. Um, but almost, almost more important in my, again in my professional opinion, um, is the fact that uh, the Toronto Defiant organization, I believe, also. Um, I don't know what the phrasing on this would be. Uh, They came out and said they're not dropping anyone in in doing this, which is great and obviously which is the polar opposite to what you see Atlanta doing, as you'll find out in our next story and as I already talked about a little bit. Um, Atlanta dropped Sharp in favor of Kai coming to them, and uh, there was some speculation very early on when Lastro was announced to be joining Toronto that they might be dropping um, Aztec. And then I think they, the organization was quick to come out and say they would not be releasing any players at this time. So good for them for being uh, forthcoming about that. And uh, in all honesty, maybe making the right call. Um, you know, cross your fingers that it's not a sort of uh, earn your spot kind of thing. I would hope that Lastro and Aztec both uh, both are able to show their strengths. and uh, you know I, I don't personally know, well personally, of course, I don't personally know Aztec. Um, I'm, I'm not well versed in contenders, so I don't know what uh, what his strengths are, but hopefully there is a, a little bit of a different hero pool between Lastro and Aztec. And as uh, Liz Richardson points out in her article there, simply the the experience factor could could make the difference when it comes to uh to Lastro um being a, a core member of the team right he he certainly may be able to provide some some guidance some mem- mentorship and things like that along with Sato and and Hisu and and some other players so anyways good to see that good to see Toronto uh um flexing their their muscles uh you know really covering their bases with that signing so Next up, uh, the article I've alluded to a number of times here Hitscan DPS Kai joins the Atlanta Reign. This was posted on February 11th by Michael Zarr over on Daily Esports. British Overwatch player Kai Collins. Ooh, got a little voice crack there. Sorry, let's try that again. British Overwatch player Kai Collins has joined the Atlanta Reign. Collins entered free agency after a short one year stint with the Los Angeles Valiant. Kai, who changed his name from KSP in January, was a dominant force last season. Several players, including Philadelphia Fusion's Chipsaw, and coaches, believe that he should have been nominated for MVP. As someone who worked very closely with Kai, I wholeheartedly agree. And what's even crazier is the Valiant got him in the first place, wrote London Spitfire head coach Reprise, who worked with Kai on the Valiant. We thought we had zero chance of getting him, but then as the weeks went by, by we realized that somehow no one else even wanted him. That's a little, a little rude. Kai's career sta- started in European contenders, most notably for Young and Beautiful. He command- his command of hitscan heroes like McCree and Widowmaker helped him create a name for himself. His breakout moment came during a surprise un- and unexpected run at the 2018 Overwatch World Cup for Great Britain at BlizzCon. The team defied expectations by making it to the semifinals, even though they lost to Team Canada and finished fourth overall. Kai was eventually signed by the Los Angeles Valiant after playing for our, uh, four other amateur teams, sorry. The Valiant experience and up and down season ultimately f- oh, falling to the Washington Justice in the playoff. Sorry, that was an awkward sentence. The team then released their entire roster and coaching staff making Kai a free agent in the offseason. The Atlanta Rain released Sharp, another DPS player, earlier this week. This move appears to shore up the Canadian squad's need for a strong DPS player. Now, that's a little interesting. I'm not, I'm not sure what that last sentence meant. Let's move on. Um, there you have it. That's that's the one I kept kind of hinting at there, and, and obviously I mentioned and everything. But again, these stories are old news, so let's move on. But also, good for them, and good for uh, good for KSB. He was certainly one of the shining lights, if you will, on the Los Angeles Valiant that I think many people really were 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 disappointed to see uh, without a home when uh, the move to the Chinese market became official. So, next up, we're going to stick with daily esports. And this time, we're also going to stick with Michael R, and it's also going to be posted on February 15th, which is not an also, it's just a now. Flex DPS Assassin signs to the Washington Justice. Korean Flex DPS Assassin has signed to the Washington Justice, pending the league's approval, of course. Following a career in Contenders, his play for Runaway has garnered attention from many Overwatch League teams. As the offseason has gone on, other teams have finalized their Overwatch rosters. This gave Washington the opportunity to pick Assassin up and add more depth to their DPS lineup. Assassin's Path to Washington. Assassin's career started in mid-2018 playing for Pacific Contenders team EXL Esports. He soon moved back to Korean Contenders, ending up at Runaway. That was when success started for Assassin, as he helped lead his team to a contender season win. When he joined the team, Runaway went on, went on a run of finals appearances and tournament victories. However, those Korean Contenders' final appearances with Runaway were all losses. At the same time, the team were winning with Nettie's eSports tournaments against other region's teams. Then it all culminated at the Asian Gauntlet, where Runaway lost a close series and finished third. Assassin proved to be a smart player with heroes like Genji and Echo. It was clear that the experience gained here could lead him to a chance at playing in the Overwatch League. Washington adding more depth. With this signing, the Washington Justice now have four highly skilled DPS players. Out of the two main roles that exist for DPS, Hitscan and Flex, Assassin hit assassin fits the flex category this means his fight for a starting spot will be with tuba with how tuba played at the end of last season it won't be easy for assassin to make to take that spot from him however the core washington the core washington have built has improved from last year with the signing of players like fury if the team keeps assassin on the heroes he specializes in washington's depth just continues to grow so there you go um Washington obviously has been a little bit quiet as they were kind of uh, uh seem to have built out their roster earlier on in the offseason um so I don't think this one was necessarily too expected but exciting nonetheless um and certainly glad to see yet another uh, up and comer making the jump over to the Overwatch League and uh definitely exciting to see Washington as well um making some serious moves and changes because as we all know they uh Although they had a great run in the playoffs at the end of last season, obviously they didn't have a great season overall. Um, so really exciting to see that coming. Now, next up, we are finally at the Overwatch Two section of the show—the moment uh, that you've all been waiting for. If you, if you, you know, like Overwatch, which hopefully if you're listening to this, then you do. Um, so let's take a quick, quick break and then we will dive on into all of the Overwatch 2 news. Oh, uh, we have to get this thing moving again. All right, we are back, and let's get on into the exciting Overwatch 2 territory. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, if you have not watched that Overwatch 2 behind-the-scenes panel from, panel video, whatever you want to call it, from BlizzConline, definitely go seek it out because it's great and you will love it. Now... The first article I want to talk about here, and I should be clear, I didn't just summarize the, uh, the video that the behind the scenes video that I mentioned. Um, I actually just kind of looked around online, pulled some articles from a few different publications, um, that I kind of want to cover here because I think they do a good job of highlighting some of the, uh, some of the sort of, uh, bigger announcements that came from Overwatch, uh, sorry, came from that behind the scenes panel, as well as some other things that just were announced, um, throughout the weekend, Um, things like, you know, the San Francisco Shock Roadhawk Champion skin, which I will get to. Um, But uh, at the end there, I'll pull one article that I really highly recommend. um, And I'll kind of highlight some of the some of the highlights that they break down there. But there's certainly a lot more and there's a lot to cover here. So like I say, I'm going to pull some of my favorites. And then uh, if you're interested go seek out the -the behind-the-scenes video, go seek out some breakdowns, because you will certainly see a lot of fun stuff. So, first article I want to read here is called... Overwatch 2 is Getting Rome and New York City Maps, and this is by Chris Holt from Forbes. Now, I'll come back to that in a second here. The article reads like this. The BlizzCon Overwatch 2 panel kicked off with a look at two new PvP maps, which will also be coming to the original game. Blizzard is continuing its focus on real-world locations with the announcements of Rome and New York City maps. Just like Toronto Defiant, New York Excelsior will soon have their home turf on which to do a battle. They then got the tweet embedded from the Overwatch account. Says, quote, it's one of the most beautiful pieces of environment art that I think we've we have made for the entire game, and it absolutely took my breath away. Welcome to Rome, a new map coming to Overwatch 2. According to Blizzard Press materials, Rome is the second confirmed location for the new push map type. It features iconic landmarks including the Colosseum and the Seven Hills, and it's infused with the kind of late 21st century tech that's a hallmark of Overwatch. As for the NYC locale, you can expect to see fire stations, Grand Central Station, bodegas, and pizza shops while you square off against your enemies. New York City is a hybrid map type according to associate level designer Trey Spisak scrolling down from there, they've then got another little hint, which uh, comes in later that I'll talk about as well. But they said Blizzard also teased an India map. Here are are a few screenshots of that. And they've got Chris Holt's uh, Twitter link embedded there with some screenshots. As ever, all three maps look gorgeous. Here's hoping we get to try them sometime soon. Now, that's obviously quite a short article, quite boiled down, um, but I liked it just because it very, very high level highlights the two maps. So definitely go check out some screenshots of these because certainly the Rome map looks looks very, very, very impressive. Um, it's got this sort of a uh, sweeping shot of it, which just looks super nice. And uh, if you listen to PlatChat, Chat, um, you will also know that uh, Johnny Reinforce uh, pointed out that in that sweeping shot, you can actually kind of see a, um, not the Colosseum, but sort of a stadium off in the distance, which might even be hinting at a Lucio ball map in, in taking place in that sort of Roman setting as well. Um, so that's exciting kind of, uh, you know, tying the different elements of the world or of the game into one another. So, um, so that's very cool there. And also I actually didn't realize that they had, uh, commented that Rome will be a, uh, push map. Um, which is interesting because they actually didn't talk about the new game mode too much. Um, And I know there may have been some speculation as well that maybe they were kind of trying to shift the focus away from that a little bit, Um, which in all honesty could make sense, but I digress. Um, Exciting stuff there. Now, the one thing they don't actually point out is that the India map, I believe, is only confirmed for, for... I'm just looking here. I think they said that that was actually a PvE map. Um, I could be wrong and I mean certainly we have seen snippets of the India map in I believe there's a capture the flag mode um, that has that in there anyways um, one thing I would recommend is go check out Chris Holt's uh, Twitter because he posted some of these screenshots uh, not only of the India map also of the Gothenburg map which I'll talk about in a little bit the New York City map the Rome map The Toronto map as well, which we have seen before, but uh, some, you know, kind of more interesting locales in it. So, anyways, um, exciting stuff there, and uh, yeah, go seek that out. Moving on from there, the next article I have here is Overwatch Unveil's fiery new SF Shock Roadhog Championship skin. This is from Dexerto.com, and this is posted by Bill Cooney on February 20th. And it reads like this. One of the best parts about winning the OWL Grand Finals, besides the prize money and bragging rights, are the exclusive skins that Blizzard makes for each championship team. In recent years, it's been all San Francisco shock. And to commemorate their 2020 Finals win, an awesome new skin for Roadhog was unveiled on February 20th during the OWL BlizzConline segment. They then got the tweet embedded from the Overwatch account And then they continue, called Midas Roadhog, naming the skin after a king who turned everything he touched into gold makes sense, since the same seems to happen with the shock as well. His face mask now looks like more of a boar than a hog, thanks to the tusks, and there's a head of flaming hair to go along with the snow-white beard he's now rocking as well. Seeing as how this skin is called Midas, it makes sense that Hog is now rocking an obscene amount of bling, from his gun to his hook, almost every part has a touch of gold to it. Exactly when the skin will be available is unknown, but Blizzard has said it will be quote, available in-game leading up to the start of the 2021 season. Now let's get to cost. Chances are this will be the same skin price as all other championship MVP and all-star skins at 200 owl tokens. The Shock have won the grand finals two years in a row now, and they show no sign of slowing down. As long as their championship skins look as good as this though, people probably won't mind too much. So again, this is another go check out the video that they posted on their Twitter and uh, go check out screenshots of this skin because holy hell, this is an impressive one. Um, Certainly, I think there was, um, I mean, from my end, at least the the MVP Doomfist skin that came out for Sinatra, I just wasn't too interested in it was it was cool. It had kind of a crackling theme, but I didn't really think it felt very San Francisco. Um, It just it wasn't too interesting overall. It was kind of a neat skin, but not to show anything about it, really. You didn't look at it and think, oh, that's San Francisco, or oh, that's even Sinatra. Oh, Sinatra was the Zarya skin. What was the Doomfist one? Let's take a quick break and look this up. Hold on one second. All right, we're back. I'm I'm an idiot. I, I totally... I was along the right track and then I got myself off track with the talk of it being the Zarya skin or, or the uh, MVP skin. It was, in fact, the San Francisco Shocks uh, championship skin. So for their, their first championship win, um, it was that Doomfist skin. And I think in a lot of ways it it didn't really say San Francisco at all. It just kind of looked like a neat Doomfist skin that was a little, little different and, and a little, I don't know interesting in in my opinion it was cool don't get me wrong but it didn't say san francisco it didn't say champion it didn't seem to come across in any of those ways whereas you look at this skin and this skin is decked out in gold bling this skin is on fire literally um as well as on the belly of roadhog it appears to be styled after um almost after a like wwe championship belt kind of thing and it very clearly says champions sf on it so this one is very clear this one is very in your face and i like this one a lot i will definitely be picking up this skin for all those times when i decide to play roadhog and i mean certainly right now ever since he was in the meta you definitely see him being played a lot even if he's you know shifting away from being in the meta uh you see a lot of roadhog play so hopefully that skin comes out soon and uh hopefully we can all scoop that up now next up announcement coming out of BlizzCon uh, was the official release of the Overwatch League 2021 season. Um, so I'm going to read a pretty lengthy article here from Liz Richardson at dot posted on February 20th and it reads like this and I will read it and then I will circle back and kind of break down some things. The Overwatch League returns on April 16th. It's been an endless off-season, Overwatch League fans, but the thrill of competition is finally coming back. The Overwatch League announced today that its fourth season will begin on April 16th. Additionally, the League revealed tons of information about the upcoming 2021 season, including standardized broadcast times, three-day game weekends, and competitive online play featuring global tournament brackets. 2021 schedule. The 2021 season will operate entirely around four standalone tournaments, beginning with the May Melee the june joust summer showdown and countdown cup will follow as the season rolls on teams will play four matches in each tournament cycle to qualify for the final tournament this means that all overwatch league teams will be playing a minimum of 16 regular season games in 2021 but most will play more since the league is divided into two regions east and west teams will have to play knockout matches in their respective regions to advance the double limb global bracket For each tournament, the top six West teams will play knockout matches, while only the top four East teams will do so. The real fun begins when two teams from each region conquer their competition. Safety permitting, the two West region teams will travel to Hawaii for lower ping to play the top two East teams in a double elim bracket. One team will be crowned the winner of that tournament and will bring home $100,000 as well as additional league points for postseason qualification. By weeks and stable viewing times. Last year, COVID-19 and the pressure of online competition appeared to take a toll on players. In response to this, every team will receive a bye week during the three-week tournament qualification cycle. This means teams will play two games per week during their, quote, active weeks. For viewers, variable game times resulted in missed matches and broken hearts in 2020. This year, games won't deviate from a standardized start time in each region. Games with West teams will always begin at 2 p.m. CT and East region games will begin at 3 a.m. CT or 6 p.m. Korean Standard Time. Broadcasts will happen over three days each week and most often from Friday to Sunday. League Points. To better track and reward wins as the season goes on, the Overwatch League has implemented a points season for the 2021 season. The quote League Points system gives teams one point for each win during tournament qualification games. First, second, and third place winners in each tournament will receive bonus points in the same way additional wins racked up last year. First place teams snap three additional points, second place gets two, and third place gets one extra point. League points will be tallied up and used to determine seating and qualification for the season playoffs. Hero pools and patches. It wouldn't be an Overwatch League season without a few curveballs. Hero pools will be returning to the League during two of the monthly tournaments, the June Joust and Countdown Cup. The pools will operate the same way they did in 2020. For each tournament cycle, one support, one tank, and two damage heroes will be removed from the competition. Only heroes with a play rate of 10% or higher can be removed, and for the first time, no hero can be removed twice during the Overwatch League season. Map pools will also continue the way they have in previous seasons. Each tournament cycle will feature a set of maps to help the team's refine strategies. This will include all control maps and three options for Escort, Assault, and Hybrid. Selected maps will shift after each tournament cycle. Patches have also been a big concern for teams in the past Overwatch League seasons. This year, patch updates will only be implemented into the league between tournament cycles. This means entire tournaments will be played on a single patch for competitive integrity. Prize pool. Competition is fun, but at the end of the day, it's all about that cash money. First place teams in each of the four tournaments will take home $100,000. Second place teams will get $75,000, and third and fourth place teams will go home with $35,025. Uh, Sorry, and 20000 respectively. This year, the Overwatch League season playoffs will be more valuable than ever. The 2021 champions will win a whopping $1.5 million to accompany their shining trophy. With a total playoff prize pool of over $3.35 million, teams will be giving it their all uh, to end up in the season finals. The fourth season of the Overwatch League kicks off on April 16th. The opening week will include a battle for Texas between the Houston Outlaws and the Dallas Fuel, as well as a grudge match between 2020 champions, San Francisco Shock and their California rivals, the Los Angeles Gladiators. So as I mentioned there, a lot to break down. So let's just scroll on back through that a little bit and I'll just touch on each item. So the first thing Liz talks about there is the 2021 schedule, of course. So one thing I want to note here is that they announced the schedule, but it's not the exact details of who's playing who. Um, teams have actually been sort of releasing that on their own, um, just kind of um, just kind of as their own graphics and everything. Um, it's definitely been interesting to see the rollout of that. You see teams like uh, the Florida Mayhem. You see teams like the San Francisco Shock. Uh, I've seen the New York Excelsior. I've seen the Toronto Defiant all releasing images. And then, of course, there are teams that I have not seen anything from. I won't name names, but one rhymes with Vancouver right-ins. Um Still waiting on that that said you can of course go to the overwatchleague.com and go to the schedule link there and you can actually see when each team is playing now of course last year we could see that at the start of the season as well and COVID really threw a wrench into that but i suspect this season will be a lot more regular in that sense so anyways um that's the first thing that liz breaks down there and the overwatch league did release a graphic which just kind of says um, shows the breakdown of each tournament and what it will look like. So, you know, uh, May Melee starting May 7th, and then it has the qualifiers uh, labeled on Week 1, 2, and 3. And then, of course, the, the actual tournament is starting on May 7th there. And then it breaks down each tournament like that. So it very clearly illustrates that there are four tournaments. Um, just to reiterate what, what Liz said there, the May Melee, the June Joust, the Summer Showdown, and the Countdown Cup, and the dates associated to them. So if you're looking to find out when your specific team plays, go check out overwatchleague.com and go to the schedules and you can check it out there. If you're looking for just a general breakdown of when each tournament is or sort of the range, um, as well as you know the week breakdown and the finals of that tournament, then go check out that that more sort of generic image there. Um, going on down from there, they did again, confirm the, uh, the Hawaii information that we had heard. I had actually thought that they were going to be taking the teams from the East as well and bringing them to Hawaii. Um, it's a little bit interesting that, uh, it's just the Western teams that would be going to Hawaii, but obviously that does bring them significantly closer to those Eastern teams. And obviously there's a little bit of a difference between the, the travel requirements going in most cases from a, an American city over to Hawaii. Um, you know, the only exceptions really being uh, um, the European teams as well as the Canadian teams. So a little bit interesting, but at the same time, I imagine it's easier to uh, work out visa details between Canada and the US, even some European teams in the US than China in the US or uh, uh, Korea in the US. So I digress. Um, Interesting that that kind of was confirmed and they even did say, you know, safety permitting. So We'll see how that goes. Moving on from there, the next item that Liz talked about, bye weeks and stable viewing times. Um, Two things here that I think are very, very welcome changes. Um, And in a lot of ways, shows that the league is listening. Or at the very least, I should say, shows that the league is um, getting the message from the teams and organizations that they are built on. I think there was probably a lot of talk about what can we do about player burnout? What can we do about exhaustion? Um, And what can we do uh, to make players and staff overall happier and healthier? Um, You saw obviously a lot of players retiring because of burnout. You also saw a lot of players just sort of disappearing for parts of the season. Um, You know, whether it was their mental game, whether it was their actual ability to play suffering from their mental game. Um, who knows really in a lot of cases, but I mean, we saw a lot of players struggle. And so the fact that they're implementing these bye weeks and it does seem to be, um, in order to give teams a chance to relax a little bit and to take a breather and to catch their breath. Um, this just seems like to me an overall really good move. Um, and in a lot of ways, it also builds up the hype of the tournaments, right? Um, if we're having three weeks of qualifying and then a tournament, it's really great to see them sort of build, 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 and then everything culminates. And then you have sort of that week to, uh, to decompress and, you know, to, to catch up on plat chat and hear the breakdown of the tournament overall and kind of really get yourself hyped back up for the next week when we return, and we then have more qualifiers, and we again, build, 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 and then we have that final, uh, final sort of climax, if you will. So exciting to see that. Um, The other thing that Liz talked about in her article there was the stable viewing times. Um, I mean, that to me is is more of a I'll believe it when I see it kind of thing. Because I think, you know, the intention of a two o'clock game was always to start at two o'clock. The intention of a four o'clock game was always to start at four o'clock. It just so happened that that didn't always work out. Um, So I know they say games with West teams will always begin at 2 p.m. And Eastern Region games will always begin at whatever, 3 a.m. CT or 6 p.m. Korean Standard Time. Um, But that was never in question to me. Um, You know, the starting time of the games is not so much the question. The question is, will the games thereafter or scheduled thereafter actually start on their schedule times? If I expect Vancouver and Toronto to play at 4 p.m., knowing that they are not the first game coming up, knowing that they are the second game, are they actually going to start at 4 p.m.? Or are they going to bump them to 3.30 or 3 o'clock because the game before that was a wash and, I don't know, Dallas got blown out by Houston, right? That's mm-hmm. that's the real question. And they, they don't exactly say that. I think that's what they're getting at. Um, so fingers crossed that that's how things will be. Uh, next up down there is the league point system, which nothing too surprising there. If you ask me, um, that's, that was kind of a necessary change, uh, going along with the tournament structure and will obviously help a lot with the seating and qualification for the playoffs last year. They obviously had to kind of finagle a way to say, all right, look, teams had games canceled teams had games rescheduled, um, you know, teams imploded altogether or had major shifts in their, uh, roster, So we need a better way to, I guess, seed and qualify for the final season playoffs rather than just saying, okay, you know what? Everyone has a chance, um, which is what happened at the end of last season. So next up, looks like we have hero pools and patches. Um, Two things here that uh, I think are hotly contested and widely debated in terms of how they affect the game and how they affect the teams playing. I'll touch on Hero Pools first. So Hero Pools, as we can see, are back, um, which I think, you know, again, widely debated whether or not Hero Pools uh, are a good thing for anyone, and the reason I phrase it like that is not necessarily because it's debated if they're good or not. I think most people aren't a big fan. If they are fans of Hero Pools, then I think they are approaching it very much from a Um, casual viewer perspective, I don't think anyone involved with the actual uh, teams and organizations is really a big fan of hero pools. What you have to understand about hero pools is that's basically like saying, okay, uh, to to equate it to traditional sports, let's go for the NHL because that's what my brain works like with hockey. Um, It would be like saying, okay, for this week's play, um, we're not going to have right, we're not going to have anyone playing Uh, right wing anymore, right, right forward. We're just going to pull that position out of the game. And guess what? Now, everyone that plays that position, uh, we're going to shift some of you over to left wing, we're going to put some of you on defense, Uh, we might even throw one of you in goal. Um, It just doesn't really make sense in terms of a a competitive uh, um, sporting environment. Um, It really restricts people and it kind of makes organizations go, well, what if we don't have someone who specializes in a specific hero? Um, You know what if we were banking or we were planning for this group of heroes to be the heroes that we play Um, you know obviously teams aren't necessarily built like that they're probably and hopefully built with a little more flexibility than that but we certainly saw some players I think uh, Blase comes to mind being forced onto the McCree a lot when that's not necessarily a character that he wants to play or excels at. Um, it's not to say he's not a good player, it's just to say that when it comes to Overwatch, there are many different characters, and uh, it becomes very difficult for an organization to navigate when they're forced to put a player on a hero that they don't necessarily uh, excel at. So, So anyways, the point is, I'm not... Uh, shocked that we're seeing hero pools come back. I'm pleased that we're seeing them come back in a lesser to a lesser degree. So they're only coming back for two of the monthly tournaments. And I think the changes that they're making are also um, should be pretty significant. Um, heroes with a play rate of 10% or higher are the only ones that can be removed, which is good uh, from the hero pool standpoint. Um, you know, if if you're looking at it from the organization standpoint, they would obviously prefer that a play rate of of 0.1 could be removed, so that you have a chance of those never those characters that never get played being removed. But you know, that's never going to happen. So that's that's pretty good. Um, the big thing is that no hero can be removed twice during the Overwatch League season. So that is the big one where it's kind of like okay, hero pools might restrict you for a for one of these tournaments but it shouldn't be restrictive for the entire season Um, obviously that's apparent by the fact that half of the monthly tournaments will not have hero pools but it also means that 75% won't have that for you if that's the situation your your team or organization is in so so that's a certainly a big deal Um, map pools nothing too exciting there Um, you know pretty pretty typical stuff there But then they also talk about patches here. And this is, in my opinion, one of the largest barriers to the competitive integrity of the game. And that is quite literally uh, the exact word that Liz Richardson uses in her article here. Um, The entire tournaments will be played on a single patch for competitive integrity. So I'm really glad to see that come. Um, It was, you know... I. I think a lot of people were very frustrated with what they saw at the end of last season with the Washington justice going on the run they went on. And again, that was nothing against the organization themselves. That was more against the game allow or the league allowing that to happen by a, um, I mean, there was some, some, uh, I I don't know what word to use other than fuckery around, uh, the signing of decay coming to the Washington justice. But there was also, um, the fact that the meta played heavily into their favor bringing in Roadhog in such a way that it did and Really allowing them to to in a lot of ways abuse that system now again That's not on Washington and that's not on decay Um, That's mostly on The league for not not mandating those kind of things and putting restrictions around when these These things can change the one thing that I question is with entire tournaments being played on a single patch that's good, but what about the grand finals? Are those going to be played on the same patch as the fourth and final tournament? Because that is really where we saw the Washington Justice take advantage of the meta um, and really have a good grasp on it. Now, obviously, I'm just using them as an example. It obviously it's not like they even went to the the finals finals, but I digress. It is the the shining example. So moving on from there, prize pool, I don't have much to say about that except for yay money and yay more money than ever. And that brings us to the end of that article. So obviously there was a lot to talk about there. Um, and oh man, I just checked my recording just to make sure. Wouldn't it have been a shame if I wasn't even recording that? Anyways, um, lots of exciting stuff to talk about there and really a great announcement from the league. And we are all, I think, very happy to see that happening. And I hope... We have all marked down March 16th on our calendars. Maybe I'll even book that day off. We'll see. We'll see. Moving on from there, the next article I want to bring up is very, very recent news. This came out on February 22nd, so two days ago. And I'm going to read an article here from esportsinsider.com, this time posted by Igor Pontes. And it reads like this. Overactive Media announces plans to build 7,000 seat esports venue. Overactive Media, the parent company of Toronto Defiant, Toronto Ultra, and Mad Lions has announced plans to build a 7,000-seat esports and entertainment venue at Exhibition Place in Toronto, Canada. The venue, projected to be completed in 2025, is set to include a, quote, theater-style entertainment venue and hotel complex, whilst also becoming the new home of the company's Call of Duty League and Overwatch League franchises. When compare, oh, whoops, sorry. When completed, the facility plans to host 200 plus events a year, with the majority being from the entertainment and music sector. The venue is expected to cost around 500 million dollars, according to the release. The facility pro- propels Overactive Media's vision to make Toronto and Canada's destination. Of choice. Sorry, let me let me start that over. According to the release, the facility propels Overactive Media's vision to make Toronto and Canada's a destination of choice for the global esports and gaming industry. Chris Overholt, Overactive's president and CEO, commented, "Quote: Today is another important step in the evolution of Overactive Media." We are building a world-leading 21st century sport media and entertainment company, and this best-in-class performance venue will be the chosen home for a new generation of fans that think differently about their entertainment choices and experiences, quote. The facility was conceived by, des- by design firm Populous, with the building's composition c- expected to create an, quote, iconic architectural presence. Populous is widely recognized as the design firm behind the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, the 2012 London Olympic Games, and the State Farm Stadium. Quote, The design of the theater will neither, was neither conceived as a sports arena nor an opera house, rather a topology that straddles the two, a state-of-the-art performance venue. The theater architecture creates a merger of of the old and the new," added Jonathan Malley, senior principal and lead designer for Populous. Overholt concluded, It has always been our intention to develop a venue and hosting strategy and to build a facility that could not only serve as an iconic home for our two franchises, but ultimately emerge as a global hub for major international esports events. We are already in active discussions to attract some of the biggest esports events in the world. This venue will redefine Toronto's event hosting opportunities in every way. Esports Insider says... Overactive Media looks to make a statement with its ambitious venue plans. With the organization owning two Toronto-based esports teams, it seems natural for Overactive Media to build its venue in the city. Alongside hosting its esports entities, the facility will undoubtedly be used for esports events, which ultimately puts Toronto in the conversation for future tournaments alongside hosting entertainment and music proceedings. So... What an exciting announcement that was. And I highly urge you to go check out Overactive Media's... Sorry, that's that's my dog in the background shaking. I highly urge you to go check out Overactive Media's announcement videos. Um, they, I know they were both put out by the uh, Toronto Defiant as well as the Toronto Ultra, the uh, Overactive Media's Call of Duty League team. And oh boy, oh boy, I've never seen such hype videos. And maybe that's just because I'm so heavily invested, but... Oh, that was an exciting, exciting announcement. Um, to see something like this coming so close to home definitely positions um, Toronto uh, to to be a world leader in in this arena. I think it's it's really interesting when you compare the Canadian market to the American market in a lot of ways because I think what people don't necessarily realize is that Canada is a lot more of a segmented market than i think a lot of uh the us is i think a lot of the us you have a lot of cross-pollination you have a lot of um it, it's relatively easy to jump from state to state and place to place in the united states whereas in canada it's not actually that easy to even go from somewhere like british columbia over to alberta which is literally the pro- one province over um, but even still you know plane tickets are very prohibitive in doing something like that Um, I know I once went on a a trip to Honduras, and it actually cost me, it it was very close to costing me more to fly from Calgary, Alberta to Toronto, Ontario, than it did to go from Toronto to Honduras. So I think that kind of illustrates just how prohibitive um, a lot of things in Canada are. But the simple fact of having a place like this so close to home um really i think just elevates the industry as a whole elevates the uh increases the legitimacy of esports in canada and hopefully um attracts a lot of talent and and future investment in a lot of ways i really want to see this market grow um and not just in toronto obviously but if we can bring attention to canada in any way it, it you know a, a rising tide raises all ships so really exciting to see that. Um, And as well, I know this is being talked about a lot of different places. Um, I know the Globe and Mail, which is one of Canada's premier uh, sort of um, international news outlets reported on it and everything. And by all means, if you Google this, this is big news. So moving on from there, the final thing I wanted to cover in this week's episode is, as I mentioned, a breakdown video and article of Tons of the announcements that came out of the behind-the-scenes Overwatch Two panel, um, but this one really kind of gets into the nitty-gritty and kind of pulls a lot of the more, uh, a lot of the smaller elements and a lot of the things that you know a lot of people might think are less significant, or they might just not even be consciously taking in when they watch something like that behind-the-scenes video. So. I'm going to direct you all over to IGN.com and a a, uh, video and article posted by Joe Scrabbles, a made-up name, um, on February 19th, but actually it looks like updated on February 21st. And it reads, Overwatch 2, 55 new details revealed at BlizzCon 2021. So like I said, there is a video component to this uh, article. I'm just going to hit play so I can check how long the video is unless the player doesn't want to show me. I believe it's like eight minutes long, and it basically just gives you the quick hits of, here's things that we pulled out from the behind-the-scenes video that aren't necessarily being talked about, right? So, yes, they do cover the fact that, okay, there are two new cities, or two new maps. There's Rome and New York City. But it actually talks a lot about, here's some of the more fine details. Um, things like the uh, the Sojourn hero that it shows off. It, it talks about a little bit of those kind of... Um, more more nitty gritty details. So I'm just going to pull a few of my favorites from the article. And if you scroll down after the video, if you don't feel like watching the video, they do break it down into the categories that I'm about to go over. And I just pulled some of my favorite things out of the uh, out of the articles there. So so first things first, the highlights, obviously, two new maps, as we've already talked about with Rome and New York City. Um, and I actually already mentioned how Johnny on uh, the latest episode of Plat Chat pointed out that stadium that could be a Lucio Ball stadium. So But I wanted to mention that again because, man, looking at the screenshots of those maps, they are exciting. So moving on from there, uh, PvP changes. So they showed off Sojourn, and Sojourn is under the PvP changes here because she is bringing in um, a lot. She kind of leads into a lot of the redesign in terms of some of the combat. So they they talked a lot about her use of a railgun which is designed to bring back some of the feeling of classic shooters. Um, and if you go watch the videos of Sojourn, uh, it definitely is exciting to see to see kind of how how visceral her weapon appears to be. Um, everything from the design of it to the the, I mean, I want to say the feel of it, obviously I haven't felt it, but the look of how it feels, um, it all just looks so tight and so crisp. Um, really exciting to see that. Then they, they also talk about the team is making big changes to PvP. Um, and it really does show in the behind the scenes how different a lot of it looks. Um, so I think one of the big criticisms of Overwatch 2 when they first announced it was that it really seemed like a um, an expansion pack more than anything. It seemed like, yeah, okay, we're going to get some new heroes. We're going to get some new maps. We're going to get a new game mode or two. But it seemed like it was more of just the same you know here's your 6v6 whatever your whatever your objective of that map is um, or of that game type is go do it and you know the heroes are the heroes but one thing that they really stressed when talking about pvp changes is that they kind of seem in a lot of ways to have gone back to the drawing board um, it seems like they're kind of really going back to the roots of what do we want this game to be and how do we want it to feel so one of the things that's talked about in the behind the scenes is that the team is making changes to make Overwatch 2's PvP a quote big departure from the live game that we're playing now. So exciting stuff there. Uh, they then talk about experimenting with role passives. Um, an interesting idea, in my opinion, that that definitely adds an element of of uh structure, I think, to to, uh, the different classes and the di- or different classes to the different roles. It's in the way they described it. It is very world of Warcraft, very wow. Like, um, in terms of the racial passives, if you, if you ask me kind of thing, and that could definitely be where they got these sort of inspiration from. So talking specifics, they talked about the tank role, um, giving it a reduced knockback, which you do see on certain characters like, um, uh, Reinhardt, obviously, um, and as well as, uh. What's her What's her name's Orisa's uh, one ability um, re- makes it so that she's invulnerable to knockback. So you do see a little bit of that being played with already. Um, but I think giving that ability sort of blanketing it across a role would would definitely. Uh, shift the way the game is played in a lot of ways. Certainly, obviously, you know, I, I wouldn't think they would ever do 100% reduced knockback if they did, like with Orisa. It would be a, a um, an ability, not just a a uh, passive. Um, but certainly, that's what you want from your tanks. You want them to be heavier. You know, it doesn't necessarily make sense when Lucio comes by and boops a Roadhog, and he just goes floating away because he's, you know, when you get booped, he has no no reduced knockback. So. I digress. That's what they talked about with the tank. When it comes to the damage, they talked about increased movement speed, which is an interesting one because currently characters do move different, move at different paces, um, and they could still definitely do that, but maybe the increased movement speed is just a, a I don't know what you want to call it, maybe 2.5% um, increase to that character's base movement speed. So for example, maybe a Genji moves 5% faster than Reaper just naturally, but then both characters have a two and a half percent increase to their movement speed compared to support and tank characters right something like that um, and then what they talked about with support characters is a a slow auto heal um, passive for all uh, healers which certainly would help with in a lot of ways um, support character survivability but also um you know it, it to me it almost seems like something that, should have been baked in already. Um, In a lot of ways, I kind of read that and I was kind of, I kind of had to check myself be like, wait, do do they not have this? Because it it just feels like something that, you know, the support class should have. Anyways, I digress. Uh, They also talked a lot about smaller things like updating animations. Um, They talked a lot about the sound effects and sound design that is going into Overwatch 2, which will, honestly will make a big difference. And especially I think one of the things that people don't give Overwatch 1 enough credit for is the sound design. Um, I can't remember who I heard say it once, but I heard someone say something like, you know, a, you know a game or a piece of media is good when you can identify it just based on the the sounds and the noises that you're hearing. And Overwatch 1 is definitely very like that. You can You can play a sound effect, in my opinion, from almost every hero, and if you're blindfolded or you have your eyes closed or whatever you could assuming you know the game you could say which hero is making that noise um you know i a few that come to mind um think about reinhardt swinging his hammer the noise that makes versus um diva firing her whatever the heck it's called her her cannons versus roadhog's uh, um, whatever his shotgun is called i don't know why i can't think of what these things are called right now um, you know the the diva and the roadhog comparison is maybe a little better if you just use a little bit of divas and then roadhogs, even even me mimicking the sounds kind of highlights the difference there. Um, and I think you see that across almost every character, right? They are all so unique in their sound design that the fact that they are going back and making these sounds more impactful and they they even talk about doing things like changing the sound design based on, okay, is soldier 76, Um, firing into the sky versus is he firing inside of you know on on a map like uh, route 66 is he firing inside of the gas station is he firing inside one of those tunnels is he firing out in the open road and they talked about changing the sound um, effects and the sound design behind that um, in those situations so just things that you know I think a lot of people don't necessarily even think about right unless you're in game design so And then, of course, the big one that, you know, most people are talking about is uh, there was talk of 2CP, the assault mode that everyone loves so much, being removed from the game entirely. Um, So from what I gather, uh, Papa Jeff mentions this in the behind the scenes. I heard on PlatChat today that he apparently on the game's Discord or on a Discord, I'm not really sure which, he may have confirmed that yes, it is in fact being removed. Whereas in the behind the scenes, he kind of says they're looking at removing it or they're talking about it they're thinking about it but he doesn't commit to it and apparently it may have been confirmed elsewhere so anyways i won't talk too much about that because everyone everyone celebrates it um and it is what it is ultimately uh moving on from there the next section that they talk about in this recap here is hero missions so when it comes to hero missions we are talking about replayable co-op pve modes um at least I think it was PvE, not PvP. Now this is uh, was one of the sort of meteor sections in this article that I'm actually not gonna cover too much um, because if you're interested in this, you should go read it. But basically what they talked about is this is the sort of where a lot of the replayability of the game comes in. Um, they talked about this being the mode where you can level up your heroes. You can play this to earn your skill points, um, which we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. Um, and you can sort of uh, refine your hero to your liking. They also talked about the fact that the team plans to make hundreds of these, so that there's a ton of variety, um, and and to add to that, increasing variety in um, in weather effects and map effects, um, you know, playing daytime versus nighttime versions of maps and things like that. So, again, the interesting or one of the most interesting things I was I, I kind of pulled from this whole beside, behind the scenes was the fact that it seems like a lot of what they're doing is a lot of the changes that i personally feel like uh world of warcraft went through um so if you don't know i played world of warcraft from classic through to uh wrath of the lich king and i then dropped off for a time came back for cataclysm and eventually dropped off partway through cataclysm as well but a lot of these changes that they're talking about um, in this area specifically, uh, we're talking hero classes and talent trees, which again, we'll talk about in a little bit, but they look very WoW-inspired. Um, but then the fact of the 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 making hundreds of these different sort of mission hero missions, this reminds me a lot of, and, and I know it's a little different, but of daily missions or, or daily quests in World of Warcraft. And it reminds me of when they first kind of started to introduce those, where it was very much like when you first started with your dailies, there were, I think like, honestly, I think it was like three, it was no more than 10 for sure. But it was something like there were three dailies you could go, go do, and you would go do them, you'd turn them in, you'd build some reputation with a couple different factions. And that was it. And then you'd come back the next day and you would do that until I think you were exalted with a couple of these factions. And that opened up maybe five, maybe 10 more. And then you could do, you know, all, all 20 or whatever it was. And for the longest time, and this I think would have been, man, this would have been probably Burning Crusade days. So this was quite early on in the terms of dailies. Um, but you would just do those over and over again uh, to earn your rewards and everything. And this reminds me very much of these, where if they, I'm not sure how they would do it. If I'm not sure if it would be a, you can only do 10 out of 300 for a week. And then the next week, you do the next set of 10. The next week, you do the next set of 10. And obviously, if there's 300, then that means in a year, you are not even doing all of the missions. So I digress. That's just some speculation there. But a lot of interesting stuff here that we're seeing and a lot of, oops, bumped the mic, a lot of stuff that is very exciting to see. Moving on to campaign details. So not a ton of information coming out of the campaign details that they talked about. Um, a lot of it was sort of sort of rehashed of stuff that we already knew um, or just stuff that we already could have guessed. But they, in a lot of ways, confirmed details or, or just sort of solidified our thoughts on them. Um, so a few things in particular, they talked about missions featuring cinematic intros and outros, cutting seamlessly to and from gameplay. So nothing too groundbreaking there, uh, but you know, exciting to have that known nonetheless. That we're we're in theory going to be getting a a very story driven. Okay, you know, here's a narrative. Whatever, here's a chunk of narrative, uh, cutscene kind of thing that's setting things up, and then you know we do a slow pan in behind Reinhardt, and suddenly you're playing Reinhardt. You play through the mission, you get to the end, whatever you, uh, I don't know, you you charge um, up the up the ice ramp that May is making, and you fly off and you launch into the ship, and then as the door of the ship, the entry bay door closes behind you, it cuts to a cutscene, and you see the outro for that mission. Um, And obviously, those are pulling directly from some of what we've already seen. Um, None of that is known to be what exactly happens. I'm just speculating. But that kind of thing, you know, pretty typical stuff in a lot of ways in terms of current modern era gaming, Um, but exciting to have that confirmed nonetheless, that it's going to be more than the, um, you know, the, the special PvE events that we see now, where it's, you know, whatever, a narrator talking over your your um, character selection and then it says, oh, you know, this is this is the tale of Dr. Junkenstein and it kind of gives you a title screen and then just cuts right into the gameplay, right? So exciting to hear that stuff. They also talked that there's going to be custom-built maps in here, which is exciting. Um, I, you know, again, reading between the lines, I think we could have assumed that um, and at the same time, maybe it didn't need to be said, but I would assume we're going to get multiplayer maps that are inspired by the single player, uh, maps or vice versa. Right. Um, this is actually where they showed off that India map that I mentioned earlier. Um, and this one, they showed some gameplay, I think on Zen and Genji running through this India map. And Oh my goodness. Uh, these guys are just top quality at, at game design and, and animation and everything. It looked really, really clean gameplay. So, um, Moving on from there, they also showed off the Gothenburg map, which actually features portions of Torbjörn's workshop, which was really exciting to see, um, a Swedish map, and really kind of cool to see the, the architecture and the different ways they're, they're bringing that to life. Um, and then they also talked about the fact that in these, uh, these this campaign, they, they were, they were kind of saying that hero lineups aren't completely set, which to me says you might have some choice in them. I would assume some of the missions will probably be mostly, um, mostly a single character. So it might be like, okay, uh, I don't don't even know who, um, Tracer, you're going in on this mission on your own or, you know, get to this point on your own and then you'll meet up with Torbjorn and whoever. Right. Um, so, but it also says to me uh, there might be kind of group missions where it's, hey, it's, you know, just like just like with the Omnic Crisis uh, uh, PvE mode right now, it's Reinhardt and uh, Torbjorn and Tracer and Mercy, and you get to pick who you want to play as, right? And in theory, that would be, in my mind, the best way to do it. Increases replayability, um, gives some player choice, you know, increasing uh, player determination and things like that. So I digress. Again, a lot of speculation there, but still. Uh, one of the more interesting things they talked a lot about was the hero progression. Now, this is what I have already hinted at and mentioned a couple times, um, but this is where the talent trees come in. So um, these talent trees do look very, very much like classic uh, World of Warcraft talent trees where you have sort of, uh, you pick a character and you have sort of three different talent paths. You earn skill points as you level up. You can invest those skill points into passives and active abilities that you can then use that alter your gameplay, alter your character kind of thing. Um, so these are really exciting. There's, there's some, some question marks around this, you know, things like, okay, say you build out a character a certain way. Well, um, you know, what does a reset system look like, right? Um, do I, do I just have to spend, you know, tokens to do that? That seems like kind of a broken system unless you're earning tokens pretty significantly. Um, Is there just an option to reset? Like, how does that work? How does the actual leveling work? What if I want to go back to level one? What if I want a new build? All those kind of questions. Um, But again, very WoW inspired and WoW has answers to all those questions. So um, some specifics about it. It looked like each one had seven tiers where skill points build into each new ability or talent um, kind of bumping you up to the next rank, which which makes sense. And again, is all very typical of talent trees from WoW. Um, And then they showed off some of these abilities. So I think there was, you know, they showed off a couple where it was like um, Junkrat, I think his trap or something like that, maybe even his mind got like electric bolts on it, which implies, you know, electricity damage. Um, They they showed some testing with Mercy firing off these explosive blasts from her staff that kind of looked like RPGs, Um, you know, Reinhardt being able to pin multiple enemies, things like that. Um, So. Anyways, interesting stuff there. Um, another one to go look up the screenshots of, I know I keep saying that, but uh, is they showed off some some of the uh, character sort of redesigns or the, the character updated models. Um, so they showed off McCree, Farrah, Reaper, and Widow, I believe. And all of them are definitely looking real good. Um, yeah, they, they showed some of Tracer they showed a little bit of Mercy and a little bit of Lucio as well, which obviously we've seen before. Um, but, oh man, just really good looking stuff. Um, and, and showing, highlighting some of the redesigns and some of the tweaks of their skins, right? One of the things they talk about is, you know, they want to improve these characters, but they also want them to remain recognizable as the character they are, right? So as soon as you see McCree, old and new, you know it's McCree, right? Anyways, um, the final thing that I want to talk about here. Is the enemies, um, and when it came to these, they they really highlighted one of the things that I think, in my opinion, is one of the biggest weaknesses of the current Overwatch, and it is that the um, current PVE enemies aren't interesting, and in my humble opinion, the current PVE stuff for me is an easy way to get wins to earn the skins for special events. That's it. I don't really find them that fun. I don't really find them that engaging. I find them as honestly dumb and easy to pop into and get your wins. Now, obviously, I know you can increase the difficulty, but all I really find that does is either make you take more damage, make the enemies take less, or some combination of that. Um, I just don't find it very engaging or very interesting. Um, So they talked a lot in this section about... um, Rebuilding the enemies to be smarter, to be better, to have more designs, um, to have more uh, more animations, um, to increase the variety. Things like, um, you know, really they talked about nothing being untouched. Um, animations, abilities, damage, how enemies react to taking damage. Really just bringing all of these, uh, bringing this PvE mode into the modern era of gaming. So, you know, just one example, they talked about enemies having a weak spot where you might be able to shoot off a, uh, an Omnic's leg and it'll still crawl to you kind of thing. Um, they, they showed off some of these uh, newer enemy types. There was one where um, it's sort of a tall enemy that grabs you with a tractor beam and kind of pulls you in and it really gave off Left 4 Dead vibes um, in terms of some of that variety. So anyways, very exciting stuff and uh, lots and lots and lots of details in there. Um, As I mentioned, this was an article on IGN.com, posted by Joe Screbbles, and it was Overwatch 2, 55 new details revealed at BlizzCon 2021. Go check out the video, go read through the breakdown that they have there, and I promise you won't be disappointed. Excuse me for dropping in. And with that, we come to the close of episode 33 of One Man Watchpoint. This was, of course, our... Uh, Overwatch 2 BlizzConline 2021 Extravaganza episode. Um, Hopefully you're not uh, burnt out on all the Overwatch information that's come out already. Um, Obviously, I know BlizzConline ended uh, Saturday there and we are recording on the Tuesday night and posting on the Wednesday. So, you know, you may have heard a lot of this already, but hopefully I offered some unique perspective and information and insight and hopefully you go check out some of these articles and some of these videos that I have mentioned and uh, pull some out uh, some interesting stuff out for yourself. Now this was one man watch point episode 33. Um, if you liked what you heard, I am Sir Dr. Jm at Sir drjm. you can follow me on all the socials um, but most importantly follow me on Twitter because I would love for you to reach out to me, interact with me there, and uh, spread the good word of Overwatch. You can, of course, find this podcast on all your favorite podcast services out there, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. So go leave us a follow, uh, leave us a follow, give us a follow, leave us a review, tell your friends, all that jazz. Um, Thank you to anyone who does support us already, um, and thank you to everyone who interacts with me on Twitter and uh, the very, very small following that I have been working to build, um, albeit not working hard enough. Um, now I should mention uh the next episode will be going up, looks like March 10th. Um, so we'll see you in two weeks. In the meantime, between episodes, I'm actually thinking I might just dabble in some streaming, um, not of Overwatch in particular. But if you're interested in that, keep an eye on my Twitter at SirDRJM. And uh, I will be sure to post anything about it there. Um, But in the meantime, keep playing Overwatch. And as I mentioned at the start of the show, you've got less than 24 hours to finish off the Lunar New Year event. So get in there and get your skins.